This is Author Talk, presented by Author House, the leading provider of services to help authors publish, promote, and sell their books around the world. Author Talk is a show about new books and the authors who wrote them. It's an opportunity for prospective readers to hear directly from the writers, to hear what inspired them to write and publish, and to hear all the inside details about their books. Here is Author Talk with host Steve Jorgensen. The title of the book, Tales of the Eventide and Other Dark Matter. And the author is Andrea Lee, and Andrea joins us now on Author Talk. Hello, Andrea. Hi, how you doing? Well, you don't sound like a dark lady to me, but you've I, written I a dark story, haven't you? I, I really have. <laughs> <laughs> this, as you say, the dark crazy that resides inside all of us. That's correct. So why did you write this? Well, I'll tell you what, I, you know, just like everyone else, had my own dark crazy and hid it away because, you know, a lot of times we kind of fear, you know, what we don't understand and would never let people read my writings and things. That was my way of getting that dark crazy under control, you know, it's kind of therapeutic, but I was terrified to let people read it. Then little by little, I would let people kind of share in that and I was amazed how many times they actually could relate to it. And they understood it, and people were even kind of validated by it. And it was a huge sigh of relief for them to know that they weren't the only ones feeling those same things. So I just realized, you know, I, I think this is a good thing for people to understand about themselves. And it really just, you know, I took all these things are from high school up through now, you know, just kind of got them all together and decided that it was time, time to let that dark crazy out. So when you say dark crazy, you uh, you mean fears as well as maybe imagination that kind of goes where we really wouldn't do those things, but our imagination goes there? It could be. It's a lot of things for a lot of different people. You know, it just depends on, you know, just different different ways that we were, you know, maybe a product of our, you know, that's a big thing as well. Um, different, you know, just different things we've experienced in our lives and how we've, you know, um, learned to deal with them. You know, it could be that, just for different people, different things, I think. All right. Well, you have broken this book into three different sections. Mm-hmm. And we have soulless, subconscious, and scarred. Right. Now, let's talk about the first section. And you also have some poetry in, in this, some dark and crazy poetry. <laughs> <laughs> this isn't Boris Karloff kind of stuff, is it? Or, uh... Not necessarily. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. But the first one is called In the Dark. Mm-hmm. Tell us about In the Dark. That's in Soulless section. Right. Um, in the Dark is actually a, it's a story about a, a young girl. She's about, you know, 19 years old, and she comes home to visit her family. She's away at college, and uh, her parents, you know, are out of town. She's taking care of her, you know, small sister who's about three years old. And, you know, they end up through just kind of a, a course of, of different things, you know, encountering a psychotic killer who is, you know, um, a little bit supernatural in his abilities, but um, it's it's not too far out there. It's not necessarily like you know vampires and things like that at this at this stage. So, but you know he's, he has some supernatural abilities that help him in his you know in his process of uh, taking people's lives. So it's really about her encounter with him, trying to protect what she cares about the most, and you know how that all kind of ends up. So some intense uh, fear, obviously, throughout this short story. That's correct, yes. 
and fears that a, a lot of us, you know, when you turn the lights off or you go out in the dark, you know, even as an adult sometimes, you know, we're not as comfortable, obviously, and some of us, even as adults, are scared. Yeah, there are times where I turn off the bedroom light and still jump to the bed. Because there's that know, monster underneath the bed, right? Under there. you got to do that, you know? <laughs> you got to do that. <laughs> oh, my goodness. So, yeah, I guess there's just a lot of stuff inside us that we don't really share with anybody. Right. Because we don't want to look foolish and we don't want to look crazy, like you say, right? Right, right. Now, in this section, you've also included some of your poetry. Mm-hmm. Can you share one of those and then comment on why you wrote it? The one that I'm going to read from this poetry is um, it's titled Undead. The sun and the heat, cool sand under feet. Water rushes in as a new day begins. I wake from my nap with the slowness of sap. From the cave I crawl, still curled up like a ball. The sun is too bright, so I must retreat until night. Only a few hours sleep, and I must not fall too deep. For the life of the undead favors me instead. That's just a, a little quick one. <laughs> a little and, quick uh, one. It's one of my favorites, though, probably because it's one of the ones I wrote early on when I was in high school. And um, surprisingly enough, it was a, it was a school assignment. And um, I used to have trouble when I was assigned to write certain things. That's not the way my, you can't tell me what to write and then have me go do it, you know. <laughs> it just has to come to me. So I was always struggling with that. And one of my teachers was very sympathetic to that. So he told me just, you know, go home tonight. You know, just think about what you're feeling. Think about what you're doing. And so I went home, and I was looking out my bedroom window, and I just kind of thought about, you know, what it would be like, you know, to be able to, you know, um, you know, just fly out over the night and just, you know, maybe be some type of a supernatural being and things like that. And these were just the things that, you know, kind of came to my mind as I thought about that. Yes, you are a troubled woman. I am. I'm all <laughs> kinds of crazy inside. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Now, let's see. The next story in the section called Subconscious mm-hmm. is The Last Night on Earth. Ooh, that has a very ringing sound to the title, The Last Night on Earth. You know, the funny thing about this story is a lot of it is true. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's oh, no. <laughs> it, was, it was a crazy, crazy night that um, occurred with me and one of my friends, I don't know, about 10 years ago. And um, it was just, it was very just an eerie, uh, you know, one of those nights where it had just stormed and everything was quiet, but it kind of had that pink glow to the whole sky. And it just seemed very supernatural, just really strange. And then all of these crazy events turned out, you know, throughout the rest of the night. And, uh, you know, obviously at the end there, I kind of changed things which uh, I won't give away the ending, but people will be able to see, I think, you know, where fiction, you know, begins in all of this. But it was pretty amazing. So we got home and she's like, that, that needs to be one of your stories because you have to write about tonight. <laughs> <laughs> so as you say, truth really is stranger than fiction. It is. People are surprised how far the truth of that story actually goes. And you have a poem that you're going to share from this section as well. Right, right. Um, this story is, Broken Record, or it's actually a poem, I should say, is named Broken Record. The bottom fell out and leaves me hanging, alone in the fog where so many horrors reside, creatures of every sort who wish to consume me, devour my flesh and feast on my thoughts. I fall to the floor and quietly, slowly creep away to find safety where there is none. 
You're in my heart. You flood my thoughts, but I can't find you. I feel you near, but will you help me? Will you save me? Have I used up all of my chances? I have cried my eyes dry. They sting and they swell. I did it again. I hurt you. I destroyed myself. I wouldn't blame you for abandoning me this time. I hear the scratches, the clawing, and the gnashes, all from creatures abound. The more I try to lie still, the more my body shakes. I close my eyes, fearing the next moment, then nothing. The fog is gone. The creatures disappear. Again, you took it all away. You bring me to a safe place. You clear my mind and fill my heart. I am safe and I am secure until I do it all over again. This one is actually, this is really just when you feel like, you know, as I said, the bottom fell out. When you kind of feel like, you know, you have um, maybe from the result of a decision or just something that's happened beyond your control in life, you feel like there's just no hope left. There's none at all. Um, I'm actually a person of faith, so I, I remember writing this very clearly. I felt like that one day, actually, and, um, you know, just through, uh, you know, reaching out to my faith, it, it kind of all got taken away for me, but, you know, you do. You tend to feel like it's um, not just feelings and emotions you're having, but you tend to put that into um, you know, different things in your mind, which is where I relate to kind of the creatures and the gnawing and, the, you know, all of those things. That's, that's, you feel just a little bit that claustrophobic with all of those thoughts. I guess this is the reason why horror pictures are still so popular. I think so. People want to go, and I don't know quite what the attraction is. It's never been attractive to me. I just, even as an adult, I go, I don't need to go and feel all that craziness. I mean, right. there's enough craziness. You know, I just don't need to put myself, in, but a lot, boy, they're popular. And they, they and they seem to get more and more graphic and people go to them and right. they just want to be scared. They were always my favorite growing <laughs> up. I, they really were in case Why that was not apparent. That but <laughs> I, I can't, sometimes, I don't know, as I get older now, I, I don't know if I can take the really gory ones anymore, <laughs> yeah. but. But I they mean, were my favorite. I can remember when, as a kid going to see Frankenstein, the first one made, you right. know, and how that scared me, and King Kong, how that scared me. So, <laughs> so anyway, I'm just a scaredy cat. Let's see. The third section is called Scarred, and this one, this one is, well, I'll let you explain it. It's called The Other Side of Twilight. Right. The Other Side of Twilight is actually, this is the most challenging one for me to write because it is just a little bit outside of my, of my genre. It's not really dark fiction, um, but it really is about people in impossible situations and how they overcome that, which I do like to write about. That. Well, like it's pretty dark. Is it? <laughs> well, when I think of World War Three, well, that gets to be true. pretty dark. See, I, I'm kind of skewed on that. I didn't think the first story was scary, and yet people are afraid to go in their basements after they read that one. So maybe, <laughs> you know, I'm a little bit skewed on it. But yeah. but it's not, there's not like an actual like horror type thing. There's not a, a monster hiding in the closet per se. But, um, but it is, a, you know, about a post-apocalyptic world after World War III. And, you know, it kind of follows the story of, of two women who are, you know, trying to adjust to their new life. They've just found out that their husbands were actually killed coming back from the war. And in the process of trying to adjust to all that, they actually get abducted and they're placed into a government facility. And, um, you know, they kind of learn as they're there, you know, why they're in that facility. They also learn about some other things that are going on. Um, of course, in secret at that same facility. So a lot of different things are happening 
um, within that book, and they have to kind of make some alliances that um, maybe aren't the smartest decisions, but it keeps them alive. So it's kind of just their story of how all of that culminates. Even a forbidden alliance. It is a forbidden one. <laughs> dun, 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 dun. <laughs> That's we right. got to have some music here in this, there you go. this discussion about your book. We, we, we need some Jaws music or something. <laughs> <laughs> Where's George Lucas when you need him? We need that symphony. That's right. Now, your goal here, oh, let's, before we move on to some, mm-hmm. uh, some philosophical discussion, we, you have a poem that you want to oh. share from that yes. section called the section is called Scarred. Right. And this poem is called Among the Broken. This is just a, a pretty quick one, too. Um, your hypocrisy reeks of profanity. You condescend and patronize. Your words writhe in their own ignorance. Tear me down and beat me to the ground. So quick you are to hurl insults and walk away. You hold your head high, unable to see what lies in your wake. Shame is all you know. Blame is what you sow. So often the first to cast your stone the last to see your own reflection. Your fall will be great and cause you to break. Your illusions will shatter, and then you will know. You'll see through eyes newly opened. You, too, are among the broken, the battered, and the bruised. You are among those who are just like you. You are one of those just like me. This one is actually just, um, oh, I guess it, it was after having a conversation with someone who I felt was a little bit too big for their britches, to be quite honest. I think, you know, some of us just get into a way of thinking of, you know, that we're better than you because of maybe they feel that they haven't made the mistakes you've made or made the decisions. So this was one where, you know, I really, you know, all of us, we, we all make mistakes. We all make bad decisions. We all do or say things we shouldn't do. And we're really all the same in that. There's no one person I think that's better than that. There are maybe people who are better at, better at handling it, of course, than other people. But, you know, we're we're all guilty of that. So it's about just you know, bringing that back down to earth, at least in my own mind, made me feel better, I can tell you that. So, <laughs> Sounds like a letter that maybe, or a poem that maybe needs to be sent to some people in Washington, D.C. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I'm sorry, this is not a political commercial. This is just Steve here, just having fun. Um, well, you, you really want to have people reach deep within themselves that's kind of there's a there's uh because this is what happened to you when you wrote this mm-hmm. that's exactly right i i feel like you know even when i was you know writing it of course as i said it's very therapeutic this is a lot of times where i just didn't know how else to deal with my feelings i've been writing since i was about 10 it was the urging of my father who told me to start writing because i he could tell that i was just struggling so much sometimes to deal with my emotions and uh, it really, it really started helping, and it turned into all of these different poems and short stories over time. So um, it was very therapeutic, and it, it really makes me happy. I love it, and I didn't realize this was going to happen. But when people read it, and then they go on my, you know, my website or whatever, and they just tell me that they they feel so much better just knowing that they're not alone in what they feel, and I'm just like amazed by that. You know, that that my words could do that, but I'm. You know, I'm humbled by it, but then I'm also, you know, I'm just so excited to hear that coming from, you know, people who've read the book. And I, I'm glad that I could help them in that way. Boy, it sounds like you need to become a talk show host. Dr. Andrea, <laughs> call us with your dark and crazy there and we- we'll help you feel better about yourself. <laughs> I can hear it now. <laughs> 
Well, it's fascinating what you've, uh, I, I think you really are, are touching on a uh, psyche part of us that probably we do subdue, don't we? We just kind of right. keep it. We don't want to let it out. And, and letting it out is, and a lot of times, is healthy. And that's one of the reasons you've done this. And I'm sure people are going to respond in a, in a very healthy way. I certainly hope so. That's that's what I love to see. Is this the first of many? This is this is uh, my first solo compilation. I've been in a couple others, but um, I my next book is actually a novel, which will be out next year. Is it going to be a little dark and crazy? It is very dark and crazy. <laughs> <laughs> it is definitely you know my old favorite, my standby dark fiction. So oh, it's it's all kinds of crazy, but it's good crazy. Well, good. Well, It'll good. Be- well, tell us about your website. Um, well, I do have a website at, um, well, it's andrealeesdarkmatter.com. Um, and Lee is spelled, or L- you better spell Andrea and Lee. Okay. Andrea is A-N-D-R-E-A, and Lee is L-E-I-G-H, and it's andrealeesdarkmatter.com. And um, really, it's just to, you know, give people an idea of, you know, um, projects I'm working on, what I'm doing. Of course, you know, right now it showcases this book a lot since this is out, I I also write um, a few articles um, for the uh, local live music scene here in Columbus, so it kind of talks a little bit about that. So uh, a lot of projects going on. As the novel gets closer and closer to being done, it'll, you know, kind of up- updates on that as well. We're in the process of putting photographs up from all of the different events that I've done book signings at so far, and, of course, we'll constantly be adding to that because we-, we have lots of fun, lots of fun at the book signings, so... And where can we get your book, The Tales of the Eventide and Other Dark Matter? You can get it on my website. There's a direct link that will take you right into it. Um, you know, people can also get it at Amazon.com, BarnesandNobles.com. Of course, as I as I go around the country touring, I'll be able to, you know, give them, sell them to people directly as well. And we'll see you on Oprah soon. <laughs> wouldn't that be nice wouldn't, wouldn't that be nice crazy? <laughs> yeah. well it's something that she needs to have you on definitely <laughs> oprah has some dark and crazy you know yes, inside her so everybody, does. everybody. <laughs> well andrea it's been so nice to have you on author talk thank you thank you so much for having me that was author andrea lee the author of her book tales of the eventide and other dark matter You're listening to Author Talk. We'll be back right after these messages. They flourish on a secluded farm 3,500 feet above sea level in Hinoteca, Nicaragua. These coffee beans grow in the shade of hardwood trees and banana plants, thriving in the rich organic soil. Shade-grown coffee grown at higher elevation has a better quality. There are two benefits, a slower growing cycle for the plants that allows time for the sugars in the bean to mature and the natural composting from the nitrogen-producing canopy. And now you can order this international gourmet coffee online at nicaraguasbestcoffee.com. Order 12-ounce and 16-ounce bags or save with a discounted price by ordering in large quantities. Three different coffee beans available, Arabica, Marigold Gaipe, and Green Oro. Prepare to enjoy the richness and the soothing flavor of some of the best-tasting coffee in the world. Order online at nicaraguasbestcoffee.com and enjoy Central American flavor, aroma, and richness of Nicaragua's best coffee. 
It's the chance for you to hear firsthand from authors on why they write their books in their own words. It's called iUniverse Radio, hosted by Steve Jorgensen every Saturday at 4 p.m. Eastern, 3 Central on TogiNet Radio. iUniverse Radio is brought to you by iUniverse, the leading book marketing, editorial services, and supported self-publishing company. iUniverse Radio, every Saturday at 4 p.m. Eastern, 3 Central on TogiNet Radio. Radio with a cutting edge. Sending a heartfelt message is one of the best ways to touch someone, to touch the heart. But it's easy to forget birthdays, anniversaries, and other special occasions. Imagine how many lives you would touch if it was easy to send those heartfelt messages. Send Out Cards provides a way for you to send a personalized greeting card to a friend, loved one, or business associate in less than 60 seconds from the convenience of your computer. You can even add a gift or gift card. Send Out Cards is about helping people reach out to those around them. It's amazing what a simple message can do. Send Out Cards helps you act on your promptings to reach out and change lives. Show host Michelle Bateman has learned through personal experience what it means to be an eagle by always working to be your best self. Please join our conversation on Send Out Cards Radio with Michelle Bateman to learn what it means to be an eagle on toginet.com. Radio with a cutting edge. Welcome back to Author Talk, brought to you by Author House. Helping authors publish, promote, and sell their books around the world. The title of the book, A Quest for Immortality. And the author, John Klopfer, he joins us now on Author Talk. Hello, John. Good morning. How are you? Good to have you on the show. Now, this book, uh, of a novel, is about some, I guess, contemporary issues of family struggles. But at the same time, you call it uh, a feel-good novel. So why did you write this book? You know, writing it, it was, I guess it's kind of an accumulation of the years of observing family, people, the different types of problems family has, and how they ultimately resolve them or don't resolve them. Well, and that obviously uh, is helpful to read, uh, you know, scenarios that help us think through our, our own situations. Yeah, I think so. I think that every family has the age-old conflict. There's jealousy, there's hate, there's resentment. And then in contrast, you have the love and the happiness in how everything happens when the family becomes harmonious. As they work through those struggles. Yeah, and and unfortunately for all of us, it takes time to work through struggles. You don't just wake up one morning and say, I want it to be fixed, and it's fixed. Right. Now, you originally were writing just a short story. I, I was. I was. Uh, my fiance was living in a cow, Florida, and I was living in Gainesville. So, in evenings that we weren't together, we had uh, just a lot of spare time. So, I was kind of playing on the computer one night and wrote the story. It just kind of came through me and through thoughts. And uh, I emailed it to her, and she says, Well, when are you going to write the rest? And I said, Lori, I don't know what you're talking about. And she says, Well, this is not just a short story. And through a lot of encouragement, I decided, well, why not? And one chapter became two, three, and then the book was finished. So is this based on any 
real life experiences that you've had or family has had or a friend has had or is this a, have you created a storyline here just you know as a fictional storyline it's a combination of all of the above uh there there is some true life experiences from my life from Lori's life uh some people we know and just kind of and it's not the people themselves but it's experiences that people have had I am not quite sure that makes total sense, but it's just the experiences of a variety of people. I've worked in healthcare for years, and I guess maybe this is where the whole genesis comes from, is I've worked in the field of psychiatry, and I've saw family struggles and people having difficulty in life. So I kind of brought all this together. Then also in, in my own life, Lori has stage four colon cancer, which is a great concern of mine. But sometimes when someone you really care about, they have cancer or get some type of a disease, it makes you think about other things and say, well, how could things be different? Well, definitely. You take a whole new, fresh look at life, don't you? Yes. And like you say, uh in talking about your book, we're all capable of changing and growing. Yes, definitely. And I, I believe that and maybe that's the underlying theme of the book is that we can all change, we can all grow, we can all become happy, and that it comes from inside that we have to decide that it's time to look at the world a little bit differently. So you've created some characters and some situations to help us to think through that in that uh, in that manner and, in, and along that theme, haven't you? Yes. So let's talk about Carolyn. Now she's one of the main characters. She is the main Carol- character. Uh, Carolyn is a probably forty-something year old African American female who travels to Daytona Beach to meet a grandfather she has never known. Um, the grandfather is a grumpy old uh, Caucasian man that owns a restaurant in Daytona Beach, and she shows up one night to the restaurant with her two teenage sons, or actually a teenage son and an eight-year-old son, and they sit down and talk to the man over the evening, not revealing who they are till the end of the evening. Oh, really? They uh, He doesn't know that they're family? He, do, he does not know that they're family. They just kind of show, show up out of the blue. Uh, they sit down and talk. They, he shares family history with them about uh, his uh, great-grandfather fighting in the Civil War, about why he believed that the South was doing what they felt was right versus what uh, the North felt. And he just showed his his family perspective of that. And during that night, he also kind of demonstrated where his evolution came from, being a bigot into a person that was accepting of all people. And he is the captain in this story. Yes, he is called the captain. Uh, he uh, it was a nickname of his, and uh, he is someone that everyone in the Daytona area loves because he's a charitable man, he's a caring man, he has friends of all different types of religious viewpoints and all different types of uh, races, which is really kind of a contrast to what he was when he was growing up. So this is a conflict between this southern white man and from Florida and this woman who is an African-American from Chicago. 
Yes. So kind of the north against the south, or the north versus the south, or this controversy between the north and the south. And I'm not even sure that it's, it's the controversy as much as two different lifestyles coming together and, and learning from each other. And he had, even before Carolyn came into the, the restaurant, the captain had kind of changed his tune and was not prejudiced and, in fact, had had several African-American friends that he embraced as close friends and family. It just took a while for it to happen in his life. Well, that seems to happen in life as we get older. If we uh, are, ha- if we do have our eyes open and our ears open, uh, we can learn some things. Correct. Some people don't, obviously, but uh, obviously that opportunity is there, and and that's what you're providing for us. Yes, I mean, and what I'm trying to do, and I think what happens with a lot of times, and again, race is always a dividing issue with people. You know, the black people don't want to hear what the white person's viewpoint is. White person doesn't necessarily want to hear what the African-American viewpoint is. And this is trying to bring those viewpoints together in a politically correct way, saying, you know, we both have different viewpoints, but we all have the opportunity to grow. I think one of the the lines in the book is the captain looks at Carolyn and says, you have to understand that prejudice is a learned behavior. And she looked at him and then looked at her two boys and says, yes, it is, and it goes both ways. Well, you have a a scene in the book where Carolyn's son, the eight-year-old Nathaniel, asks the captain, uh, what color is God? Yes, and actually I think that's a very, kind of a, a very real question for a lot of eight years old is, you know, you, you go into a church, you see a picture of Jesus, and Jesus, you know, he may be very white, may be very dark, but, you know, what color is God? I think we all ask that question sometimes in our life, and the, the captain kind of stumbles over that because he doesn't really quite know what to say. He doesn't know, what to say. he doesn't want to say that God's white doesn't want to say he's black, so he kind of says he's kind of like the color of the rainbow. He's a different color to different people, which, you know, the eight-year-old Nathaniel looking at him, well, that doesn't make a lot of sense. The captain's saying, well, gee, am I really having this intellectual conversation with an eight-year-old? What am I thinking about? So does your book have this religious theme as well, or is it more philosophical? I think it's more philosophical and more moral morally driven, a, 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 even though the characters have religious beliefs, you know, I, I try to instill that all religious beliefs are okay, and the acceptance of all of one of the uh, characters in the, the book is, is uh, a New Age mystic type of person. Uh, another person is uh, not really quite sure whether they're Hindu or Buddha. But it kind of yeah, hints that they're one of those two. So I don't want to hit any one religious thing. I want to hit the spirituality thing that, you know, we're all spiritual beings. And we all should grow spiritually. And we're all here on the planet together and God's children. We should get along. Correct. And under- try to understand each other. You take us into a, another scene in the book uh, when the 14-year-old uh, Carolyn's son, uh, Jason, he hooks a shark on a fishing trip. What's the significance of that? 
It's kind of the passage of uh, childhood into adulthood. He goes out on the boat as a 14-year-old boy, uh, not real sure of of himself totaling, and he's in there casting, and he gets this shark, and the shark puts up a great battle. And Jason learns a lot about himself, about being able to bring the shark into the boat. And even though the... The shark's a mako, and he says in the book that the mako shark that wasn't in season, they couldn't catch it and couldn't keep it, but the captain allowed them to bring it in anyway. And it describes the feelings Jason was having on the thrill of the catch. And then there's a kind of a scene where at the, the end of the, the chase, so to speak, Jason's looking in the eyes of the shark and just, you know, seeing the wisdom of the shark and how the shark has been a predator forever and will always be a predator. And you kind of gained a, a new respect for the, the prey. How do you mix in events all the way back to the American Revolution? Why is that in the book? I think it kind of shows the historical tie where a, a person is a accumulation of what they have been through their ancestors. If a person was born in the Deep South, that they probably have a little bit of uh, Civil War family history in them, and that may have uh, shaped their beliefs into what they were until they decided that those beliefs no longer fit them. And it kind of shows kind of the history of America, too. One of the uh, scenes the captain is talking to Jason about... Uh, uh, Lafayette, who was a, actually it's James Armstead, who late, later changed his name to Lafayette, was a dual agent during the world uh, between uh, the war between uh, England and the United States, the American Revolution, and he, he was a uh, African American soldier, and he spied on the Britons, and actually probably helped us win the war, and he wanted to show the rel- relevance that. There has been heroes on both sides, African-Americans and white, all throughout the history of the United States, and we've all contributed to make the country great. And just before Carolyn returns to Chicago, she and the captain have a very serious discussion. Give us a little insight into that. Well, Carolyn just came, went out on a walk on the beach, late-night walk, and the captain's sitting out on the back porch with his parrots kind of watching the sea and just relaxing. And she came back and she sat down and she says, you know, you're, you're someone that is just really marvelous. You, you, you've opened my eyes. I, I can see things clearly now. You've helped my kids see clearly. And, she, and he says, well, you know, well, what did I do? I don't think I really did anything. She says, well, you know, you grew up in a situation where hate was a way of life and that stopped working for you, so you evolved, and you opened your eyes, and you learned to look at people for who they really are and not some preconceived notion. You're really, I guess he's, he's kind of saying you're living in the now. You're not living yesterday. You're living what is real today. You opened your doors to my two boys and me to come into your life and for you to be a mentor for my kids. You didn't have to do that, but you did. And he kind of replies, well, yeah, I really did have to do that because that's the right thing to do. 
Well, you state that this is a story of a family who lost their way and how they found their way back home. Yes, it, it really was. And they, they lost their way even long before the, the, the scene. The, and what's not really revealed until kind of towards the end of the first chapter, Kellen's mother was got involved in the 1960s with an African-American man and got pregnant. And the captain, being the bigot that he was at the time, chased her out of the house. First, he told her that she needed to get an abortion or give the child up for adoption. And uh, the mother chose to run away from home. So she and her boyfriend ran away from home, got married, eventually moved to Chicago. The genesis of Carolyn coming to meet him is the mother had just died of uh, cancer. And she wanted to have Carolyn deliver a note to her father stating, hey, you know what, this is my life. And it was a, a note of reconciliation. I actually wanted Carolyn to mail the letter, but Carolyn decided to be the Pony Express and go meet her grandfather because she always had this yearning to know who he was. So he's the, and this is one of the reasons we do a lot of flashbacks too, is just because of the fact that um, Carolyn didn't know a lot of the family history because she was really estranged from the family since birth. Well, John, you have a website. Tell us how we can access that. Okay, it's a questforimmortality dot com, and just go ahead and go up into your uh, computer, type it in, and the website will come up. It tells a little bit more about the book and uh, about the characters and how to purchase the book. And it's also available through barnesandnobles.com, booksamillion.com, and most most bookstores, websites will have that, and uh, some bookstores are going to, to carry the book also. We would also like to mention, Steve, that 20% of the proceeds of this book is going to cancer research. It's just really a strong belief of mine that we can all make a difference if we get together. And with Lori, cancer, I feel really compelled that it's a major importance as we as Americans come together and find a way to cure cancer. And I believe if we all throw a penny in here and a penny in there, it adds up to research. Uh, Lori and I have a website called butterflyhope.com that's dedicated to people who have life-threatening illnesses and to their caregivers. Well, John, we really appreciate you sharing your story with us and your mission, and congratulations. Thanks a lot, Steve. Really appreciate it. That was John Klopfer. He is the author of his book, A Quest for Immortality. You're listening to Author Talk. We'll be back right after these messages. Maybe if I write a book, it will be the thing that keeps me alive. Those are the troubled words of a new 16-year-old author with her first thought-provoking book, What Gives? Published by Togi Entertainment. The author kept a diary during her dark teenage times, which turned into a 360-page suicide note with a happy ending. Texas Monthly describes teen author Chelsea Marie and her new book, What Gives? in this provocative way. We've plunged from page to page, not because of the young diarist despondency. Depression is not especially attractive or compelling, but because we are fascinated to see that while she is fending off demons on one hand, she is writing verse with the other. 
What Gives is available at whatgivesbook.com and national bookstores. Readers of What Gives are giving rave reviews. All social scientists, teachers, and students should use this book as a learning tool. What Gives is available at whatgivesbook.com and national bookstores. The American Rock and Roll Countdown with Alex Price. So where were you in the 1970s? Well, this Saturday morning, we're going to flash back to the 70s as we count down the classic hits with the American Rock and Roll Countdown. You'll hear news and information and stories about the artist and what was going on during the specific week that we highlight. So be sure to join us at 9 o'clock Eastern Standard Time this Saturday on Toginet for the American Rock and Roll Countdown. The American Rock and Roll Countdown on Toginet. He's a diehard American. He's right, and he has the last name to prove it. He's Jason Wright, the host of The Right Side of the Aisle on TogiNet Radio. Jason is a father and self-made entrepreneur who turned a struggling East Texas real estate firm into a top-notch million-dollar company. Jason Wright loves America and is very concerned about where we are headed as a nation. He's dedicated to traditional American values. Jason Wright. Join us every Friday at 11 a.m. Eastern for The Right Side of the Aisle on TogiNet.com. Welcome back to Author Talk. Brought to you by Author House. Helping authors publish, promote, and sell their books around the world. The title of the book, Taste Buds. And the author is Ryan McDonald. And Ryan now joins us on Author Talk. Hello, Ryan. How you doing, Stephen? Well, I'm doing great. And you're going to take us deep, deep into the unknown territory of the kitchen. <laughs> I am, I am. Yeah, yeah. So all the secrets and the recipes that have made you famous. That's right. I'm not going to give you all the secrets, but I'll give you some. All right. Well, <laughs> we want to recognize Ryan. He is a professor. He teaches at a school. What's the name of the school, Ryan? School's called Le Cordon Bleu. Well, that, that's in of, Atlanta, Georgia. Yep. Of course. It'd have to be named something like that, right? <laughs> that's right. Correct. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know whether to call you Ryan or Professor. I'll just take Ryan. That's well, fine. Ryan is fine. Okay. Well, Ryan, what motivated you to get so involved in creating recipes and being a chef and all that's become you here at you know in two thousand nine? That's a that's a lot of questions all in one. That's that's, that's good. Let's see how we can do this. Uh, well, one, what motivated motivated me the most um, is food. Is, is I just love it. You know, I love to eat it, which kind of kicked into me loving to cook it. And I uh, was raised by my mother in a single-parent family. And as a young boy, I would wake up out of my bed early in the morning and, and hear all the glitter and clattering of pans in this room. And being a curious little boy, I would walk into this room known as the kitchen and find my mother and grandmother making breakfast. I kind of got intrigued by this, so I would wander in with uh, starry eyes. My grandmother would pick me up and throw me on her hip and, and start shoving food in my mouth. I was like, wow, this place is cool. I like this area. <laughs> you like this, yeah. yeah. It tastes good, too. Yeah, exactly. So uh, I, I would come in more often and more often. As I grew, my, my mother and grandmother would uh, give me responsibilities to do in the kitchen, like chopping up vegetables and things for salads, stirring of stocks, stews. Now, as you see in front of you, uh, my, my name is spelled R-I-A-N. Uh, really different than, than most people have seen it before, and it's because of 100% Scottish. I like mentioning that because us traditional Scottish people, we make everything from scratch this day. So I've had a good culinary basis in my life 
through my whole life without even knowing it. My, my mom, my grandmother would make bread from scratch, marinara from scratch, salad dressing from scratch, everything from scratch. As a little boy, I was learning all these things. And I was very interested in it because not only did I get to have fun and, and spending time with my mom and grandmother cooking, but I also got to eat, <laughs> which was the best part. So uh, as I went through and, and started to enjoy cooking, I uh, found out about culinary school later in life, and I decided to uh, take that route, put myself through culinary school, and I've been doing it ever since. I, I can't complain about it at all. It's one of those jobs that uh, I wake up in the morning, and I, and I can't wait to get to work. And I don't know how many people can say that, but I really, really enjoy what I do, and uh, it's, been a, it's been a blessing to me. And you talk about in your book, or, or just, uh, well, you don't talk about it in your book. Your book is filled with recipes. You talk about it anyway. <laughs> Your motivation for all of this is this is a great way for parents and children to spend time together. That's right. You know, I think uh, with all the convenience foods, you know, with the microwave and with McDonald's and Burger King and, and all that fast food type of things, it's really taken away from the family togetherness, I believe. I know the Sunday nights uh, at my family was we all would get in the kitchen, exchange recipes, have fun cooking, prepare a meal, and sit down and watch the Sunday night movie on, on TBS or whatever it may be at that time. And that really brought us together. It has, it gave us a chance to talk about the things that we experienced that week in school, uh, talk about uh, what things we're doing the following week, some things we want to do at a family reunion, just have fun. It really brought that family bond, you know, even tighter within my family. And I think in today's world, and, you know, I might, might be stepping over the line here, I, I think we've gotten away from that. I think we've gotten away from the family togetherness and, and the family time. Um, it's all about, you know, let's put something quick on the table, let's get the kids in, let's get the kids out, and then boom, they're in front of the tube watching television and, and not doing anything. So I think cooking and my book really breaks it down to have easy recipes that you've either heard of before or, you know, might have eaten before, and you get to prepare these easy recipes with your, with your son or your daughter or your other family members, and that is doing two things. It's one, you're learning something new. That is beneficial in life because not only will you be cooking for your family, but when those dudes, when those kids get on their own, they'll have to be cooking on their own. So this is something that they can use later in life. And it's also bringing the family bond back together. So it has a, a, a positive on each end of it. So we don't need to go to a culinary school to make great dishes from Taste Buds, your book. That's a great point. You don't. And actually, my uh, cookbook is set up in a way to have a culinary curriculum in it. So as you move through this book, you're learning just the same techniques, the same vocabulary, and the same skills that a culinary student spending forty, fifty, sixty thousand dollars on their culinary education is learning. So it's a good way to uh, pick up a book and be able to learn new things as well as creating fantastic recipes. And where do you get all your ingredients? Sounds like this is pretty uh, expensive and comprehensive. The great thing about you, we were talking about that is one of the great things I talk about my cookbook to people about, which really people love, is that you can get all the ingredients at your local grocery store, whether that be a Publix, Kroger, uh, Walmart evenly, uh, Piggly Wiggly, whatever is your local market close to you. You can get everything in my cookbook from your local grocery store. It never frustrated me more when I would pick up a cookbook from, uh, let's say, some of my idols like Emerald or Wolfgang Puck or things of that nature, which they're fantastic chefs. But if I would pick up their cookbook and try to make a recipe out of one of their books, they have a lot of ingredients that either I can't get anywhere at a special order, or they're going to cost me an arm and leg to buy to prepare that one mit, one deal, one dish for. So, it uh, you know, one of the strong points of the book is everything you get in my cookbook is at your local grocery store. 
And you had a great chef once tell you, just keep it simple. That's right. That is the saying I live and die by today. It's something that I learned a long time ago, and when I realized the, the beauty of it, it, it makes perfect sense. And keep it simple, you know. It doesn't have to have truffle oil and all these other fancy ingredients. You know, somebody with a normal palate, even our normal foodies out there, aren't dissecting food when they eat it. They just want it to taste good. And you can do that and make it simple and make it easy and have fun with it all at the same time. That's what this book does. It keeps it simple and allows you to have lots of fun preparing this dish. Also uh, gives you an open-end swing to it to where you can throw in your own little, uh, little swing on it. So if you had, like adding something else in there, you're able to do that. You know, cooking is fun. Cooking is inventive. Cooking is creative art. Have fun with it. That's what it's all about. And so at the same time, you can really impress the family and the friends that come over for dinner. That's right. You can. Now, you talk about beginner cooks, but then you also talk about foodies. I've never heard of foodies before. Who are foodies? <laughs> foodies. Foodies are the upcoming uh, population. I'm telling you, they're everywhere. They're just hidden. Um, the foodies are people who go to uh, certain tasting events, festivals, and things of that nature that really go out. They build and, and train their palate with different recipes that they're, they're tasting, and then they go home and they try to mimic those recipes at their house. The foodies are people who really actually enjoy food. Not only do they enjoy food, they enjoy it so much, they like going home and trying to make a replica of that dish or trying to add some of their own flavors into that dish, making it their own. They're... they're uh, they're quite a unique people. <laughs> well, your book is broken down into many, many, uh, what, do you, what do you call them, categories of, of different kinds of foods, uh, everything from stock sauces, soups, to desserts, to the yard bird. Let's talk about the yard bird. Now, when I, I, that's a different uh, phrase. I've just never heard of that. But what's your favorite yard bird recipe? Yardbird recipe would probably be chicken Kiev. Um, yardbird, for those who don't know what a yardbird is, it's, it's pretty much chicken. <laughs> it's a bird hanging out in your yard. <laughs> Here in Georgia, it happens pretty frequently. But uh, but you, you know, also cook with quail, so I you know I guess quail hang out somewhere. <laughs> every now and again, they drop in just yeah. to say hello. <laughs> so why chicken Kiev? What what is so special about that? Chicken Kiev is a is a great classic French dish, and it's something you do learn in, in culinary school at Le Cordon Bleu. It's such a great dish that you can throw so many different spins on it. You can do so many different things. It's so versatile that it, it's, it's endless to the possibilities you can do. So it's very creative, and if you throw in whatever you want, it's just as good as the original. I think it's a great starter dish for a lot of my students that I see that we talk about. And it allows them to not only recognize what Chicken Kiev is in a traditional dish, but also allows them to use their imagination and creativity with it as well. Now, we talk about sauces are always so important to cooking. Why is that? Sauce is one of those elements that uh, not only adds flavor to your dish, but it also shows skill. Um, it's very complicated in the way to create a sauce out of drippings of, of meat and poultry and things of that nature. Some people think it's a lot a lot harder than it is. It's actually a lot easier than most people think, but it still can be uh, complicated. Um, it does add layers of flavors as well as colors to the plate. So sauces is traditionally um, held within French dishes. Um, and then, of course, you have, you know, marinara and things for Italian dishes, but it traditionally started with French dishes to add a fifth element to those plates. It is 
a great additive on something, but then again, if it's done wrong and done incorrectly, it can really ruin the dish as well. So it can be a double-edged sword if you think of it that way. But um, I, I prefer I use sauce with, with every dish I have, whether it be, you know, uh, chicken tenders I make from scratch, I have a dipping sauce. Whether it make ribs, I make homemade barbecue sauce, that's my sauce. You know, it's, I believe sauce should accompany every dish, in my mind. It's just my personal opinion. And, of course, you have one of your favorites in it, Chef Ryan's Barbecue Sauce. That sounds great. Yeah, that took me, uh, that's probably taken me about three years to come up with, a lot of playing around with. Barbecue sauce sometimes can be a pretty traditional sauce. There's not a whole lot of strain off the, the main ingredients. But I've found a couple of uh, ways to add some, some things into it, like cinnamon stick. Uh, cinnamon stick is one of my favorite spices in the whole world. I use it in a lot of things. I use it in my sweet tea. I use it in a lot of my desserts. I use it in a lot of my dishes and my sauces and my barbecue sauce. It adds just that, that little kick at the end to, to really let you know that it's in there. And it adds that great flavor to my barbecue sauce. You talk about your mother's chili. What made her chili so special? My mama's famous chili. I would, uh, you know, in elementary school, middle school, high school, my friends, well, I, I thought they were my friends. Later find out they weren't because they were just coming over and staying at my house to eat my mom's chili. <laughs> so it really wasn't to see me or hang out with me. It was just to eat my mom's chili, which, you know, is, is absolutely fantastic. I didn't really have to do a whole lot to it to make it uh, better than what it was, um, but I did want to throw my own little spin on it. But it is, it is absolutely to die for. I have used it in competition throughout the nation, and I have won prizes with that that recipe. And, of course, I always give respect to her about it, and I always call and tell her about it. She's always so tickled because she just says, you know, all I do is throw a bunch of things into a pot. And, you know, and, and, and back <laughs> in the day, that, that's all they did was just throw a bunch of things into a pot and see what happens. And, by golly, if she didn't come up with this fantastic chili recipe that is now a, a published art in my, in my book. <laughs> So it's great. What's one of your favorite soups? Favorite soups? I would say, you know, I'm a big New England clam chowder fan. Uh, I'm just going to admit it. I, I love chowder, whether it be uh, corn chowder, clam chowder, you know, red chowder. I'm just a big chowder fan. Now, when it comes to preparing and, and actually serving and being proud of, I would probably say chicken consomme. And for those out there that don't know what a consomme is, a consomme is a clarified soup. So a lot of ingredients go into this soup, but when you actually have it arrive at your table, there's nothing in it but this clarified broth. It's like, you know, this, this didn't take much to make, but then you go and taste it, and the flavors are just will knock you out. They're unbelievable. And if you uh, are able to see the recipe, there's uh, used ground beef as what we call a raft, which moves up through the broth, clarifying the broth, which adds to that flavor. And some people think ground beef and soup clarify they just don't get it but as they see it and taste it it starts to make sense to them let's move over to salads you have one called chef ryan's scottish coleslaw now there must be some scottish importance there that's right you know like i mentioned before i'm, I'm 100 scottish and proud of it um all my family is and this recipe has been passed down to me as well uh the julienne pears and the pralines in that dish are the scottish swing on it um, the cabbage, the red cabbage and the green cabbage, that's traditional coleslaw. You'd see the mayonnaise is traditional. Add a little rice vinegar and sugar in there as well um, that sometimes coleslaw has and sometimes they don't. Um, but the pralines, which are candied pecans, for those who don't know what a praline is, um, they're candied pecans, and my julienne 
pears, and my coleslaw make it Scottish. So, Which well, actually is a fantastic, I've been getting a lot of requests for that right now with the summertime, a lot of cookouts, uh, families hanging out on their porch, a lot of people have been calling me to ask me to make that for them, or they've called and purchased my book just for that recipe. So it's amazing. Well, we can't finish this conversation without talking about desserts. My goodness. <laughs> We've got to talk about desserts. Let's see, what would which dessert would you like to feature as we close out this this interview? There's actually two I'll touch on real quick. One would be the Southern Peach Creme Belay. Okay, I'm sure uh, Stephen, you've had a Creme Belay before. I may have and didn't know it. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> it happens to a lot of people. I understand that completely. You know, once again, I just took a classic French dish. You know, a a, uh, a custard. That is baked, and then you uh, sear it with a little bit of a flame to the sugars on top, which make it a nice crust on top. And I went and added some southern peaches. Now, that gives it a nice sweetness to that custard. It really adds an added flavor in there that I really, and my, my friends, really enjoy in there. And then I'd like to touch on the banana fosters. Uh, the banana fosters is a great classical French dish. Um, in that recipe, you learn how to make a homemade caramel, which you can use for many other things, making homemade sugar daddies homemade caramel apples. So knowing how to do that can not only teach you that recipe, but other ones as well. You make a homemade caramel, you throw in some bananas, a little bit of brown sugar, some cinnamon, put a little bit of, uh, I use a cognac, a Hennessy, or you can use Jack Daniels or anything that's going to set on fire, which is always cool for us adults, you know. A little bit of a flambe technique, and then you serve that over top of vanilla ice cream. It is a fantastic dessert. It's really cool for having uh, your friends and family coming over and watching you make it because of the flambe effect. It really gives a, a show appeal about it, and it's a great, fantastic dish to eat. So that's a lot of fun. So I would say the creme belay, the southern peach creme belay, and uh, the banana fosters are my favorite desserts out of that whole whole book. Well, the one thing about talking about food, it just makes you hungry. You've done a great <laughs> job. I'm ready to eat. When, when can we come over? Anytime. You're more than welcome. Anytime. <laughs> Well, you've done an incredible job to take uh, a, a lot of sophisticated sounding uh, terminology, and yet you say, when it comes right down to it, even a child can follow your recipes. That is correct. That is correct. Well, that's the I, magic, right? That that is, and that's that's the hope for the future. You know, I'm, I'm not going to be here forever. It's the it's the youngsters coming up that are interested in culinary that I need them to take the reins and take over. So. The easier I can make it for them to understand what they're doing, and the more fun they can have, the better off we'll all be. Well, how do we get your book, Ryan? You get it numerous ways. It's uh, it's in your Barnes and Nobles and Borders locally. You can get it off of uh, Amazon.com. You can also get it off the Author House website, which will be AuthorHouse.com. Uh, Go on there into the bookstore, and you can order it right off the the book. I'm um, right off the bookstore, so I'll be there. And also, in the state of Georgia and Florida, I'm doing a lot of local signings and book events. And if you ever are able to catch me, come on by, and I'll be more than willing to sign your book for you and, and talk to you a little bit about it. Well, we appreciate you being on Author Talk. Hey, thank you for having me, Steve. I appreciate it. That was Ryan McDonald. He is the author of his cookbook, Taste Buds. 